Hello. This is the Black and Asian Therapist Network podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the internal psychological world from a Black and Asian perspective. The Barton Network is where Black and Asian therapists share their passion and their expertise. My name is Eugene Ellis. I'm a psychotherapist and founder of Barton. These podcasts are a conversation around the psychological life of Black and Asian people in the UK. Throughout the coming months, I'll be speaking with therapists who will be sharing their thinking and psychological concepts. Today, I have with me Dwight Turner, who is a psychotherapist and author of articles that look at an Afro-Caribbean perspective on intimacy, a personal perspective on how the absent father hinders the growth of black men in the new millennium, and exploring the link between music and one's life process. Um, welcome. Hi, hi. Welcome. Nice to be here. Nice, yeah. to, nice to work with you again. Well, thanks for inviting me down to your your consulting room. We're in there right now. Do you want to just say a little bit more about sure, you and sure. your work? And yeah, sure. Uh, well, yes. As, as you mentioned, I'm a th- psychotherapist in private practice. I have been since approximately 2004. During my, my my career, if you like, I've worked in mental health and also worked for a, a uh, short-term counselling service down in East, in South East London, around yeah. Elfman Castle. Okay. Uh, I'm now currently a facilitator, trainer and lecturer at the Centre for Counselling and Psychotherapy Education, the CCP in Paddington, as well as my private practice, so I'm a very sort of busy man. Mm. Mm. Just for the listeners, I mean, the first time that we sure. met, mm. I think, was at one of the Black and Asian Therapy men's gatherings that's right yes which was really well attended mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh you know i think about uh, 30 of us were there or something approximately that or yeah i think it was something like that maybe even more mm. yeah we had a really good day um and then you sent me some of your articles yeah that yeah. you've that you've written you know really interested to hear about black men mm. writing about their experience mm. and it was you know it was very contemporary obviously sure. there, there have been writers in the past yeah. uh, from the uk black men asian men You've yeah. done a lot of writing. Yeah. I mean, you were writing for the Journal um, of Critical Psychology, Counseling and Psychotherapy. That's right. And the articles really were around intimacy from an Afro-Caribbean perspective. Sure. And, and our psychotherapists were really interested in that area of intimacy. Yeah. Um, and also that big one, um, Absent Fathers and the Growth of Black Men in the New Millennium. And another one about music, and I thought that I really kind of thought that was kind of interesting, bringing music, you know, into sort of therapy yeah. discourse, and so I was kind of really interested. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if you'll have time to go through all of that, but sure. what spurred you on to to write anyway? I mean, what, what was that process? Well, writing for me is is a passion. It's it's been so, it's something I've always done as you know, even when I was young, I used to just write short stories or whatever else. So, yeah. from that perspective, I've always loved to write. During my training to become a psychotherapist, I was you know, very aware of the lack of a, a, you know, a black voice uh, mm. within, within psychotherapy, or especially within the transpersonal. I'm a transpersonal psychotherapist, that's, that's my training. Okay. And there are very, very few uh, black men within the transpersonal, and almost none of us are, are, are writing, besides mm. myself. So to be able to present that perspective, I, thought, I felt was very important as a psychotherapist, as a black male psychotherapist. And I also feel the responsibility to say to promote psychotherapy within the black community. There's mm. that responsibility. It's, it's important. It's important for us, I think, in our growth. So you feel, you feel really important that your voice is out there in terms of yes. what you're doing yeah. um, and what you think psychotherapy or counselling or whatever yeah. has to yeah. offer. 
yeah, this community. It's, yeah, yeah, it's what I think. Yeah, what I feel uh, we have to offer as a community, um, to, to the community, and also just the differing views to be able to present those views. Doesn't yeah, mean that they have yeah. to be necessarily right or, or wrong, yeah, yeah. but to be able to present a wider picture for people to actually see that okay, there are black therapists, male yeah. and female, who are writing and who are creating this discourse, and it's it's promoting some sort of thought. Yeah. Um, for us all, and you know, maybe some people find that really interesting. Maybe some, it will debate, create some debate elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to be able to have these discussions around who we are as black black men and women in the new millennium. It's yeah. so we can take ourselves forward, if you like. I mean, because there is this taboo, I guess, about speaking your business, sure. you know, going out there and yeah. kind of letting it all hang out. Yeah. And, and it, it is tough getting around that. Um, I mean, yes. your journey yeah. as a psycho as a as a black man, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like it has involved therapy to some extent along the way, as yeah, well as yeah. other things. I mean, you know, probably just a component of it. I mean, what's your what's your journey? Yeah. I mean, what, what what has your journey been like as a as a as a man as, as a, a man as or... a therapist as a what's brought you right here now yes, today sure. talking? It's a very it's a big question. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, to start with the, the the point about okay, you you don't talk your business, you yeah, you don't you know. There's always been that sense of keeping things in, in, in house, if you like. Yeah. Um, the problem with that, to some degree, is it's quite stifling. I found it quite stifling, I must admit. Right. When my mother came across the, to the UK and, and in the, with the whole Windrush generation, she was mm. part of that, that grouping there. And my, but my father was here at the end of the Second World War, so he'd been here for a good while longer yeah. uh, before he met my mother. Um, and their relationship... I can probably say it wasn't the greatest relationship in the world. They've had their problems. They're still together now, but they've had their problems and their ups and downs. And I think mm. it left myself as a uh, as a black man growing up in you know West London in the sixties and seventies, not really sure of, of of my place and not really feeling supported at home because there's so mm. much going on at home. And you know, I started my own sort of personal therapy, my own sort of personal journey in my late twenties mm. after the end of a of a relationship. That had been going on for a long time, right. um, but I didn't. I didn't handle the ending at all well, and it brought up a lot of material for me. Mm. And it was a totally random conversation with somebody who I haven't seen in years. Who said to me, "We well, need to go and see a counsellor," and it, it sort of rung a bell for me that I need to go and sit down and talk to somebody. You know, mm. It's not. It's not something we necessarily do, necessarily do as a culture, but I felt it was important for me at that point to actually sit in a room and talk to a therapist about where I was at that moment in time because I was actually pretty lost, to be honest. I mean, what made you what made you do that? Um, because there is a kind of fear, I guess, that sure. I don't know. I guess you're being vulnerable, um, mm-hmm. and who knows what you're going to get? And sure. counselling is a European perspective. They're not going to see you. They're yeah. not going to understand you. Yeah. How did you manage that one? Or was it an easy process to, to turn up? It wasn't an easy process, um, but I think I tell you what, what was what was more difficult was the realization that I had to fall an awfully long way. To then right. pick okay. myself up to go and speak to somebody. Right, right. Um, I think you know the points that you make about okay, it's it's, yeah, it's a European thing. It's it's normally um, uh, it's not something that, that as a culture we necessarily engage with. Yeah, those sort of things were always in the back of my mind. It's, right, it wasn't anything that was on my radar. Put it to, yeah. put it that way. Yeah, and I think it's actually a moment of coincidence that that led me to actually say, okay, I need something else. Mm. Um, mm. I need some other type of help. It was either that or seeing a psychiatrist. I think, I, I, in fact, if I remember rightly, I probably did talk to my GP about feeling low and he prescribed me some medication and, and so on, which I never right. actually took and decided okay. that actually I'm not going down that sort of route. So it was kind of, you were sort of taken to the edge of yourself. Yeah, yeah. 
and you, you know, yeah. had little choice really, I guess, at that point. Yeah. I don't know if you had other choices. Well, not really. I, I, uh, <laughs> well, he did. I clearly had other choices. Yeah, what did we want to do? Yeah. But they weren't maybe the best ones in no, the world. No. Um, I think there was there was something about. Um, I I think for me, and this may be the sad part to it, is that it took me falling a very long way to actually say, okay, I need help. Hmm. And in a way, that sort of stayed with me over the years. In hmm. maybe that's one of the reasons why right now I still work as a therapist sure. in saying, well, actually, you don't have to get to that same sort of level. You don't have to go where I went mm. to then mm. say, okay, I need to go and speak to a therapist. Mm. Mm. And that, you know, if you feel there's a, if one feels there's a cultural distance built into psychotherapy, which there is to some degree, that there are other therapists out there, you know, the black and Asian therapists as well, because the black and Asian network, there are other black and Asian therapists who can bridge that gap yeah. in a way, which, which wasn't, you know, I didn't really have that when I uh, when looking for a therapist, you know, the, the, the Batman network wasn't up and running, the internet mm. was in its infancy. So um, I wouldn't have known where to go to try and find a black male or female therapist or counsellor. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I'm thinking about in terms of therapy or, you know, it, like you have to be mad or something. I mean, that's the kind of, you have yeah, to be mad. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the studies that show that, obviously, if you, if, uh, if you go before that point, yeah, yeah, you're going to have a better experience. Yes, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, so it's interesting that you got to that point. I mean, myself, I got to that point. It was a similar kind of experience. And actually reading um, your personal perspective on absent fathers, sure, I mean, you're sure. talking about your father and yeah. my father. It was kind of, a, it was uh, kind of the same. Okay. okay. There was that distance. Mm. You know, his engagement was around discipline, and mm. that discipline mm. was mm. quite harsh a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. There is, you know, the physically absent and also the yeah. emotionally yeah. absent, yeah. which you talk about as yeah. well. So that kind of neatly sort of segues into that paper of yours. And... Um, what was your sort of thinking around writing that paper? One was a personal perspective, again, to promote, uh, I suppose, psychotherapy in the black community. But then there's also the, the, the linking, the, the need to continually link black history, if you like, to the absent father. There's this story about how men don't stay in the family and so on, and you know, we, we, we get up and leave. And mm. plenty of men do that, but I don't think we always understand the reasons behind that. Yes. It's not just that men just up and go, just like that. It's like... My sense of it is that uh, the trauma that we still perhaps sit with post-slavery is still rooted in the culture to some degree. That, that, that the, the idea that men were actually kept separate from families. In yeah. fact, there wasn't a family unit. That's, that's, that's the, the, the be-all and end-all of it. Uh, men were used to stud to, to produce... Well, certain men were chosen to stud. It wasn't like all men were. So the idea of actually being part of a family was kept away from black men and black women during this, these, these times. Mm. I think black women have also s- suffered accordingly because of this. And I, it's, it, for me, and we talked about intimacy earlier on, for me, intimacy is something that we haven't necessarily, we struggle to recover based on, on that unconscious sort of trauma that perhaps still sits in the psyche, the collective psyche. But I don't think it's impossible to recover it. That's maybe what, in the, more, the more we talk about these things, um, the more awareness we can put to it, uh, and therefore the more chance mm. for longer lasting and intimate relationships there is for black men and black women mm. uh, within our community. In the article about, about intimacy, I mean, mm. you, you say, I believe the intimate bonds that tie are not as they should be in most Afro-Caribbean relationships. It's a strong statement, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Which is um, yeah. you know, as I see it, I would agree mm. um, with you. And it sort of has this sort of ideal, I guess, yeah. of intimacy. And how does that look? And, and how, is it different from another culture's ideal of intimacy? 
Yeah. And that's that. I mean, this is this thing where, where I think there's a danger for all of us when you're getting caught yeah. in something. In, in, in suggesting there's an ideal, one could suggest there's something we have to aspire to. I think it's very mm-hmm. dangerous to actually go down that route. So, yes. you yeah. know, I, mean, I wrote that article a while ago, and the more one thinks about it, the more I think, okay, could I have said that slightly differently? Yeah. What I would say within the African Caribbean community is it's, it's finding a balance between two people which works for them. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a cultural ideal. Because then you end up in a situation where people feel they are, they're meeting it or they're not meeting it. If they're, if they're not meeting it, they're in a, in a deficit in some way. And that's mm-hmm. sort of a whole different, yeah. whole different problem there. Yeah. But the ability to be able to talk about the levels of intimacy in a relationship between two people at any given moment in time, mm-hmm. to have that dialogue, mm-hmm. to be aware of where one's blocks are towards being close to another person, I think that's where intimacy starts, if you like. It's not just within the African American community. One can say that across many different communities, many different types of relationships. As you say, it's, a, it's a more of an awareness of yeah, yeah. what's going on in the moment and what might be informing your decisions yes. and being yeah. able to communicate that. There, there is that, that level of awareness that comes in, that level of dialogue that comes in, the level of understanding oneself, I think that's very important around, around these sort of topics. And there is no ideal, ultimately, because this is a process that goes on Forever, it's mm. not. It's not something we can we can solve in a, in a few months and then you move on. It's something that one has to constantly work at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had a something called non non intimate attachment. Sure. There's sure. that little statement you used to describe men and women, parents and children, and how mm, mm. they are together and not together. Yeah. Sort of at the yeah. same time, and that's informed by the landscape of. Slavery and the you know the, the the impact of that and the legacy of that. Sure, sure. I think we always know when we we desire something more, when we desire a, a more closeness with somebody else, mm. and we can also feel when we're actually holding ourselves back. <clears throat> yeah. For some reason, because you know, if, if clients wherever they're from come into therapy, they they're aware that something's not quite wrong, even if they're not consciously they're always aware of that. Mm. Un- underneath the surface, there's an awareness that actually, I don't feel quite right about what's going on for me to look at this in some sort of way. Yes. So perhaps my job is then to, to help uncover the patterns of, you know, the, where, where they're in a relationship and maybe they're holding themselves back emotionally in some, in some sort of fashion. Maybe mm-hmm. like, you know, my, my father's distance, my father's emotional distance could be a symptom if you like. And so if you've been able to talk to somebody about that, you may have encouraged them to engage a bit more on mm-hmm. emotional level. Uh, that's the ideal in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, or I know from my history... <laughs> My earliest therapist picked me up for the number of distance relationships I seem to form all in, in, in a row. You know, people mm. who lived outside of London. Great going to travel there, but then you're on your best behaviour for two days and you come straight home again and mm-hmm. you don't actually see the real you. So there's that, mm-hmm. that fear of really being seen and being vulnerable and, and, and so on. That's another example. There are plenty of others. It's, it can come down to the type of men and women that we choose. I suppose there's that traditional psychotherapeutic thing whereby you choose somebody you want them to change yeah. in some sort of fashion. Yeah. And yet... In wanting them to change, they're not doing so. There's the frustration that actually they're not doing what you want them to do, as opposed to being able to accept mm-hmm. them as they are and to love them for who they are. And mm-hmm. There's a distance in that. This can it, it can play itself out. On, what I'm saying is, it can play itself out in many, many different ways. Sure, sure. Again, reading in your article about your clients with when they're with you, they're seeking that intimacy with you. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, slightly fearful of it. They're in their patterns about yeah. avoiding and yeah. fearful. I went through a series of psychotherapists, mm. white, white females for the most part, mm. and then I had a black male, and um, he kind of said towards the end of the therapy, you know, you were really fearful of mm. me, mm. really, mm. at the beginning, and maybe still a little bit now, 
Mm. You know, but I just, you know, I refused to accept. I just, it just couldn't go in my brain. You know, sure, it just couldn't sure. go. It's only years later, yeah. and I yeah. reflect back and I think, yeah, okay, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. that. I get that. Well, I see what you mean. There's an interesting point you're making because I think the fear can be a real indicator for when we're we're keeping ourselves slightly removed from somebody. Yeah. Um, and yet, like you, like, like, like you said, you were still there. You worked through it in, in therapy. So a part of you still wants to engage and to get beyond that, yeah. that fear to some degree. And I'm, you know, I know I've been there as well with different therapists. I, um, in my early days, I was probably so willing to have someone to talk to that I, I just went along with things. And later mm-hmm. on, perhaps a little bit more ambivalent from time to time. So I do, I under, I, I do understand the, the sort of struggle, the fear that comes in mm. when we actually have to sit in a room with someone from our own culture and talk about our, ourselves mm-hmm. and be open, be vulnerable. Um, it shouldn't have to come when we hit rock bottom. Hopefully, through conversations like this one, we encourage people to actually come forward and, and talk when they actually feel they need it, mm-hmm. as opposed to resisting it in some mm-hmm. way. Also, as, I guess as psychotherapists, we're sort of essentially optimistic yeah. and yeah. hopeful <laughs> of, about, of change, or else we wouldn't be in it for very long. Yeah. Are you sort of hopeful... In terms of change, I'm yes, I am hopeful of change. I'm, I'm hopeful that that as the generations pass uh, for ourselves in this country, that things will shift as as as, as they're meant to. Yeah. Um, and all I can do is, is say my piece and then leave it up to whoever wants to take that to the next to the next level. Mm. But I, yeah, you are right. I am hopeful that we will find what we what we want to for ourselves, um, and that some of the pain that perhaps we, we go through will diminish in some way. Mm. I was interested in the, the article between exploring the link between music mm. mm-hmm. and sort of one's life process and this, this idea of music and human development. It sounds like you were sort of using that with your clients, you're yeah. kind of bringing yeah. that in. And you, you said, through my work with music, I believe I have developed a means of observing clients through an exploration of their connection with music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell a bit more about that. You know, I like to work creatively, so you know, I'll do all sorts of things. Like, you know, we're sitting in the playroom now, so I'll use toys and sand tray and, and material like that. But occasionally, I do bring in bits of music, which I'll ask clients to either just sit and meditate on, or I'll ask them to draw mm. in some way. There's, you know, draw the first thing that comes up for them around the piece of music, or you know, I'll ask them to bring in something that that, that resonates for them around music. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes clients will come in and play an instrument, or they'll play something which that, which which means something for them. But I, you know, as you mentioned, you know, music is a universal thing. It's, you know, each culture has a form of its own type of music, and there is a, there's a theory, a sort of transpersonal theory, that it, it's one of the ways that we can see the universe. If you like, there's a Rastafarian phrase around. I can't remember the full phrase, but it's something along the lines of, at some stage, the the, the government will be uh, not just politicians but musicians alongside them in some in some sort of fashion. That's, look that quote up somewhere. So I think they, they're talking there about the power of music, the standing that it has. Within, within, you know, within the community. And on numerous occasions, I've felt moved by the music that clients have brought in because it's allowed me to see a different part of who they are in mm. some way. If I was to, to ask yourself, maybe to pick a song that um, resonated for you and then talk to you about that song, mm. you'd probably come, probably come with a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, stories of, I don't know, former partners or, or mm. times or, or you know, where you were when you first heard it, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, it ties us to the past in some way. And yeah. it, it's so rich when you, when you look at uh, music. And it's, as I'm talking about it right now, I can feel the passion that I, that I have for it. Mm. Um, which is why I wrote the article. And, well, actually, it was the basis of my master's in some degree, uh, looking at music. 
So it's something I use on a, on a regular basis with clients. So I mean, as you as you're speaking, I'm thinking of some of the some of the tracks of my life, and you sure. know, going going way back, and the first mm. record, and who brought the records, and mm. what, you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, I can I can see that would be a sort of an opening into mm. um, a memory. Mm. Was I listening to the other day? I was listening to I was watching the Olympics opening ceremony the other day, and yeah. there was um, was it my boy Lollipop, and I can't for the life of me remember who sang it. It's gone out of my head. It's probably yeah. have to look it up later on. But it was nice to hear it on the opening for the Olympics. Yeah. But also it reminded me of, of being a young boy dancing around the room um, with my flares on and the Afro hair, which has long since gone, unfortunately. And, and feeling a lot of joy at such a, it's such a simple tune, but it brought so much joy to myself. And also I remember my family dancing around as well. There's that, there's that sort of memory in our, mm. in our living room as opposed to the sitting room, that sort of thing that you have know, two separate rooms. I love that. But like you said, you, it, you draw up a whole lot of memories that go with it, with that piece of music. I'm smiling as I remember some of the, some of the tracks from mm. my own past, but do they tend to be memories like that? Or do, I mean, or they, is it just a, a mixture of various things, grief, I guess, and yeah. pain? Yeah, it's grief and pain. Um, sometimes when I work with music, it's to evoke a different emotion, to bring an emotion to the surface that's probably sitting in the room in the unconscious that, that maybe wasn't, uh, being expressed in some way. So you bring. So it's not always positive. Yeah, sometimes I'll bring it, bring, but sometimes okay. clients will bring music as well. Okay. But it's 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 not always about a positive experience of, of music. Sometimes it, it is quite difficult until mm. it comes up. Yeah, yeah. And what's the other article that you're, well, you're writing or well, you've written? Um, the other article was on uh, difference, the link between difference and narcissism, which was published in Therapy Today, I think in December two thousand and nine. Okay. Um, and which talked around about, about early life development around narcissism and, and difference. And the idea that in some ways we, we form some very fixed ideas about who we are and who others are from a very early age. Yeah. And unless those sort of ideas are challenged or normalised by family, community, whatever it is, then mm. they, they can stay fixed all the way through to, to adulthood which then can lead to prejudices popping up and so on. And, and for me, difference is not just, it's, you know, we talk about race and sexuality and culture and, and so on. And yeah. we talk about the big, the big areas. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. That, need, that needs to happen. That discourse grows all the time. It's, it's very informative. And in some ways, it's the bedrock that, that then I get to do my work on, on, on top of, if you like. Yeah. But there's another level of this, because I think difference is something that, that plays itself out all the time. It's not... Um, you know, we're sitting here, two black men in a room, and uh, but we both come from different modalities. I'm not sure yeah. which Caribbean island you're from, or if you're from the Caribbean island, you're not. So there's, there's, there's that side of things as well. There's the, the levels of difference that are in any interaction are enormous, but they, yeah. we don't always talk about, about those mm. or, make, or try and make things normal um, mm. before they're ready to do so, before we're ready to do so. Mm. Uh, and then the differences then play themselves out unconsciously. For those who are unfamiliar with narcissism, I mean, well, how would you sort of describe that word? Because it's quite a sort of specialist word. Isn't yes, it? yeah, it is. And it has sort of loaded connotations to it as well. It, how, what I would say is, is this. Ego formation gives us a certain understanding of who we are in the world. Yeah. On some levels, that needs to happen for, in order for us to function. Mm -hmm. In order to get our needs met, in order to, 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 to know who we are, we need to have a real core belief of, who, of what's going on for us. Sometimes, though, that can become too fixed, too rigid. Yes. Uh, one can be seen as narcissistic if they're, if they're not willing to move from a certain perspective okay. to some okay. degree. Yeah. 
if they're not willing, if they're not able to hold a different perspective, even if they're just so dogmatic in how they see the world. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, and especially in this instance here, narcissistic sort of thinking is a barrier to relating. I would mm. argue. I mean, how does that get formed then? I mean, as a well, as a, I guess it's an obstacle to relating, isn't it? Well, there are positive and negatives to narcissism. You know, in order for us to know who we are and still to be able to relate, and there's got to be a porousness within, within us that allows another person in. Mm. If that if that barrier, if you like, if that wall is too concrete, and if we're too fixed in how we are, and if, if we're too central to the world, we believe that we are, we're the centre of the universe, which some of us can, can do. Yeah. I'm sure I've been there. Um, then, then we're not really related to anything more than ourselves at, at that point. But in, term, in terms of sort of... Um Development of that, sure. Um, from a young age, I guess, onwards. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. what's the normal? Well, the, as I well experience of someone who might have because I'm, I'm, you know, maybe someone is identifying themselves. Sure. Well, I suppose one has to remember at an early age, um, the child is sent. You know, we're talk, talking about early life development. The yeah. baby, the child is central uh, to their own to their own world. The mother and the, and the father will circle around them. Yeah. They cry. They get their needs met to some yes, degree. That's right, yeah. um, so yeah. actually. They are the centre of the universe. It, mm. it can it can lead to that sort of thing, and that needs to happen yes. in order for them to feel safe and, and looked after. But that changes over a period of time as they start to see themselves, as they start to separate out from mother, and they start to realise that actually they're not the centre of things anymore. Yes, and it, there's something about being able to transverse that line of realising that actually mother is separate to me. She also has her own world, which I think the father will play into to some degree as well. Right. And in order for me to get my needs met, I'm going to have to either meet them myself or find a, find a different way of, of, of gaining mother's attention or father's attention, whatever it needs to be. So that, that position shifts gently, hopefully, over yeah. time. Sometimes, though, if there's a trauma, let's say if there's some sort of form of abuse that, that happens and the child uh, finds that they have to, to cope for themselves around it, like... Um, Let's say you've got two abusive parents who are just at war. They're, they're, they're fighting all the time, and, and okay. a child, uh, like a young boy, for example, feels they have to look up to keep themselves safe. Yeah. You know, we've all heard stories about children who, who, who feel that they have to look after themselves or their, their siblings, and that's their way of containing themselves whilst the war that's going on around them just occurs. So they're not exploring the world, they're not no, they're, they're finding sort of, out about other people, they're just making sure they're okay. They're making sure they're okay, okay. they're sort of driven back to, back to, to, yeah. to base zero, if you yeah. like. Yeah. It's that exploration of the world around them, of others around them, that helps to dissolve this sort of belief that they're the centre of things. Right, right. Um, it doesn't always happen, um, or it can happen too much. People can lose themselves uh, mm. a bit too much. So that's what I mean. It's a delicate sort of operation that one then has to go through, mm-hmm. I think, in order to come into you know, teenage and later, later life with a, a, I'm saying an adequate sense of who they are in relation to the world around them. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So what are you, yeah, what are you working on now? I mean, what's, what's, in, what's for the future in terms of writing and sure, thinking? Sure. Where, where, where are you going well, with that? Well, um, where I am now, it's... it's PhD time. I'm like I said. I like to I like to study. I like to write. So I'm going to put the two together. Do some more research, really. So I've just embarked on, on my PhD um, in, in transpersonal psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which I'm in the early stages of. So it'll be you know a few years before I'm completed. But there'll be some articles along the way. I'm sure my supervisors have planned for me to get down and start writing bits okay. and pieces around my topic area, which is to look for a transpersonal experience of difference. That's what I'm going to be looking at. Really, and when you say transpersonal, I mean, how would you describe that? Like I said, yeah, I mentioned beforehand that a lot of the discourse around difference has been very useful to, to see it. But it's, I think the one the one query I have around it is um, 
it's not really looking at the relational aspect of, 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 of difference. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm hoping to do using creative techniques, um, transpersonal techniques, is to look at how we relate to the difference between our, myself, uh, how we relate to, to difference in a given moment. Yes. You know, how you and I would relate to each other. What do we see in the other person at that moment in time? What's sitting mm. in between us mm. Uh, mm. right now? And how does that, you know, what are, our, what are the projections, what are the qualities that we see in the other person? All sorts of different layers mm. that might come up in any interaction. And what do you see as, you know, there are lots of different ways of looking at the self and sure. in relation to the other. It might sure, be sure. Um, one culture against another or one person um, with another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's been useful ways of thinking about those things for you personally? And just says, you know, mm-hmm. there's a transpersonal idea that you're talking about. Sure, there's sure. loads of other theories and ways of thinking and Looks like you've done a lot of reading around that. Mm. I mean, what sort of hits the mark for you in terms of looking at the issue and not just having something that you can just say, but something that actually you can use a tool <laughs> to, actually, use yeah, to actually change, to make some kind of change? That's a big question there. Um, well, at this, at this moment in time, I've got a long way to go. I'm looking a lot at it's like, like Ken Wilber's work around uh, levels of consciousness. Okay. And the idea that uh, the other, if you like, is it's almost an archetypal entity um, that, that activates, that works on us all the time right. in relationships. So if one can understand the relationships that we're drawn to, even if they're difficult in some way, then we can understand more of ourselves along the way. Yeah. Um, I suppose the best example I can think of, uh, it's... I know we look at we look at the sort of more surface levels of difference and the cultures living together and so on. But if mm. I find myself drawn to say, let's say, someone who's Polish, and I'm feeling the, the the fear or the anger or the resentment of that, mm. then to be able to sit with that in myself and understand what's being activated within me mm. through that archetype, that what's what am I having to learn about myself in that moment mm. from this different other? That's mm. then very important. Mm. Uh, for my for my future development, for the development of myself, my my, my core self. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned also that you you know, as well as music in your yeah. in your therapy, you use the arts, yes, um, yes, drawing, painting. I mean, how how do you utilize those those things? Sure. I mean, sure. most people are thinking you just sit down and chat. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> there's clearly more to it than that. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, they can. They can. It depends on what's going. There can be more. For example, you know, I'll, I'll um, use things like drawing or, or, or meditation techniques to help people understand their emotional self. For if a person is struggling to express an emotion, for example, then I'll I may ask them to, to go into the body and to, to visualize where that emotion sits for them. Okay. Uh, and then they have to draw um, what they see. Uh, from that space and then we'll, mm. we'll work with it that way around mm. um, another example another way of working is using sanctuary work which is mainly used with, with children but I tend I, it can be used with adults as well I use it a lot with adults after uh, I've worked with, with children so much and that's about asking clients to, to pick symbols which they, they which resonate to them or to a part of their life and to mm. play them that put part place them out in a tray of sand, basically. Yeah. And then they would uh, offer an interpretation of what they see in the sand, and then we'd work together to see, you know, maybe how that needs to be transformed in some way. Yeah, yeah. I think the idea really is, in using play, um, 
there's uh, a chance to access another level of the unconscious. Yeah. As myself, myself as a child, my imagination was rife with of games to play mm-hmm. and, and roles to take on and mm-hmm. everything from, I don't know, Doctor Who to whatever I was, to Shaft, to Bond. I could, oh, I could have been anything all yeah. in that space of two hours, really. And to be able to recover that, there's a wealth of information that, one, that we can learn about ourselves through play in psychotherapy. That's why I tend to use those techniques. There is a sort of knowledge sitting somewhere. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And it's um, the same it does we... tap into that. I mean, the transpersonal, I guess, would be talking into that area. Yeah, there are many, yeah, there are many schools of, of thought around this one. There are many other uh, styles of psychotherapy that work in similar fashions. Um, you know, we work a lot with dreams, or I work a lot with dreams as well. And I think that's, that's yeah. been quite powerful too. Yeah. Uh, when the conscious mind has been able to, to just shut down and the unconscious is, is feeding um, metaphorical messages through, those can be really quite powerful. And I must, mm. and one, I suppose sometimes I find that there's a richness to, to dreams brought by my Afro Caribbean clients that I don't always get from, from other clients. It's, it's, it's an interesting okay. one. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's something for, for someone out there to do some research on at some point. It's as if the, the, the dreams hold a different weight to them. That's okay. the best way I can put that. All right. Um, that's probably a paper for me to write. In the future, <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you have a range of clients from various yeah, yeah. walks of life. Yeah. How do they get to you? Um, well, the majority of my clients pay for themselves. I have uh, a number of clients who come, who, who's... Maybe they're, they're working some of the, and the service will, will pay on their behalf. Also, clients sometimes come through EAP, employee, assist, employee assistance programs. That's, mm. that's not unheard of as well. Okay. Um, so there are a number of avenues uh, for people to reach me. Right. I mean, in psychotherapy anyway, there's, there's always more to learn. There's always yes. more training. There's, yeah. It can seem a strange job to people. Yes. I yeah. mean, when, you, when you're out and about and you say you're a psychotherapist, I mean, how does that go down? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> well, it's, 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 there's the um, traditional answers of either, um, or are you trying to analyse me now? Um, okay. which, which people always say, or, or people scuttle off and go off somewhere else and I'm still on my own in the, in the corner of a party somewhere. In a way, I think the worst thing that we can do is to hide the fact that we're therapists and counsellors. Yeah. Um, it's important for us to stand up and say, this is what I am, this is what I do. In any walk of life, um, I would argue. I know you, you mentioned earlier on about the sort of uh, the stigma attached to even going to see a counsellor therapist, and it, maybe it's the same for being one, being a therapist, where you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to talk, you're not supposed to be a therapist because you know, who knows what you've been through to get to that sort of stage and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I feel the responsibility for for actually standing up in my sort of psychotherapeutic power, put it that way. Yes, that, that's who I am. That's what I do, and I'm proud of it. I, I enjoy it. It's a uh, a challenging job. It's not easy. Mm. Um, I need to stretch of the imagination. The trainings are difficult um, because they involve a huge amount of personal soul searching. I think also from a, maybe from a cultural perspective, because there are you know so few of us, and because maybe because of the, 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 there's that stigma attached to being a counselor or a psychotherapist, this trail is still, is still being blazed. I would I would argue we're still walking a path that not many of us have, have gone down. So it's not like yeah. one could say that you know I could say that I'm I don't know a musician or a sportsman and. Plenty of people have done that already, or, or, yeah. and therefore yeah. it's 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 normalised culturally, if you like. Yeah, I'll be There's like still, I'll be like that guy there. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's maybe still the sense that actually what we're doing is a little bit out of the inverted commas ordinary or normal. Yeah. that sort of route. It has its own weight to it, mm. but it's mm. you know I'll be honest. If I didn't do it, I'm sure somebody else would step up and do it. So mm. um, I just have to take my responsibilities on and get on with it. Really, I've yeah. made a choice. Yeah, yeah. Really, thank you for spending the time to 
You talk with me be. and, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners will find what you say fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, you've shared a bit about yourself. Mm. Um, you've clearly done a lot of processing about your life and you feel confident in your psychotherapy skin, mm. as I do. And, you know, I think people will pick that up Absolutely. and respond. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure to talk to yourself today. So. All right. Thank you. Thanks. That was psychotherapist Dwight Turner talking about his writing and his work. If you would like to follow up on his articles, you can find them on the Barton website. That's www.baatn.org.uk. I'll be back next month when I'll be speaking with Dr. Aisha Mackenzie Mavinga, who is author of Black Issues in the Therapeutic Process. So until then, goodbye. <laughs>